Bed of Courage is about you and me. It's about ordinary people aspiring to live their best, most authentic life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. Bite of Courage is about hope, about connecting with others, about choosing love over fear and having the courage to be who we're truly meant to be. Bite of Courage is about us. Welcome back to Bite of Courage. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today. Lisa Stockall Cartelli is a sought after speaker and author and the founder and chief executive officer of Angel Faces, a national nonprofit organization that provides healing retreats and ongoing support to adolescent girls and young women who have suffered from severe burns and traumatic injuries. Lisa learned firsthand about this type of trauma at the age of nine, when her grandparents' home was destroyed in a natural gas explosion. The effects of losing everything they owned was life-altering, not just because they lost everything, but because Lisa was next to the point of ignition when the house exploded. Over 50% of Lisa's body, tragically, was burned. But something else ignited in Lisa that day, her spirit. With unbounded courage and a Herculean heart, Lisa was motivated and later inspired by her doctor to transform her pain into her life's purpose. For the last 30 years, she's been directing aftercare programs for other burn and trauma patients, and in 2003, she launched Angel Faces. Selected as Hero of the Week by People Magazine, she has appeared in numerous national and international publications and on multiple media outlets, including Barbara Walters' 2020 special on ABC and Dr. Sanjay Gupta's Human Factor on CNN. She's also received an ongoing list of prestigious awards for her leadership, including the Heart of a Woman Award on the Dr. Phil Show and an Emmy for an Angel Faces mini documentary. And that's just the short list. So, Welcome, Lisa. It is such an honor to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you, Mo. It's it's an honor to have a voice. Yes, it is, isn't it? Well, before we get into the details of your story and your book, Heart of Fire, where you chronicle your journey of recovery and eventually your launching of Angel Faces, I'd like to ask you what your definition of courage is. My definition of courage would be to have the faith to step forward and not be attached to the outcome. Mm. It's pretty simple, but right to the mm-hmm. point now. Well, your book for me was a storytelling manual of how to build courage and how even though we may be a victim of certain circumstances, we don't have to live as victims of those th- circumstances. They don't have to define us, right? Right, Yeah. right. So- So for our listeners today who haven't had a chance to read your book or aren't familiar with your story, would you mind taking us back to that day when you were at your grandparents' house and tell us what happened? So I, um, my grandparents were the sort of people that were the anchor in our family, that if you needed a, a soft place to fall, if you needed a hot meal, if you needed anything, on a Sunday at 3, 4 o'clock, you could show up. And they, any part of the family could show up and have dinner. And um, earlier in the book, I talk about how crazy my childhood was and with my father and, and that. Um, so we cleaved to my grandparents. My sister and I arrived about three o'clock on a um, Sunday afternoon for dinner. And we walked into the house and she was 18, I was nine. And she said to my grandmother, and this is a very small house in Detroit. She said, my gosh, grandma, the house is, is so much natural gas. I can smell it. It's so strong. And my grandmother um, of the 30s and 40s says, yes, yes, I know. And the gas company came out hmm. and they will be back tomorrow, Monday, when they have a full crew. Wow. 
So we know now that, you know, you, you always evacuate and you evacuate blocks, you know, often. So I was sent to the basement to play while dinner was being prepared. There was nine of us in the house. And um, when I was down into the basement, that's when the fuel, um, the fumes from the gas leak caught the ignition point was on the hot water heater, which is the small flame. So when those fumes meet the flame we had an enormous explosion. So the people upstairs were thrown out across the street and broken bones, but it, the house came back down onto me, um, trapped in the basement. And you were playing a game, right? With your yes, cousin. Playing yeah. a game. I was playing hide and go seek. And I remember that moment and, you know, as though it was yesterday and standing there and I was the one that was counting and she went and hid and she hid under the stairs and I, I peeked and I saw where she went, you know, I was nine, right? Of course, of course <laughs> yeah. you had to, we all cheat when of we're nine I had to cheat or 29 or 49, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You hope by 69, you learn, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> That's okay. I guess. So I saw where she went, but that really saved her life because mm. when that explosion happened, look, at, I'm trying to justify my cheating mm. at my age. Mm. So when the explosion happened, I was doing the 10 down to one. And as I got close to one is when the ignite happened. Mm. Um, and she was trapped under the stairs, but inevitably that really protected her. Right. And you, you know? actually, um, write in your book about your eyes being saved because of what you did. What was that? Well, I had it. So the fireball came out and I covered my eyes. Um, and you then, had your eyes covered when you were playing hide and seek. Right? Oh, oh, I had, yes, yes, yes. Thank yeah, you. I yeah. had my eyes covered because that's what we do, right? We sure. cover our eyes and we count. And we open our fingers, you know, to cheat. Yeah. Yeah, and then we open up <laughs> to cheat. Yeah. And that probably inevitably um, saved my eyes, and that's why the back of my hands are burnt. Mm. Mm. Um, so getting, getting out of that was an incredible experience in itself where I had was visited by my angels who shined a light on a hole that the hole was so bright compared to what was going on in that room that um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom. I couldn't even, it was so bright to even look at, but I knew that that had to be my escape. Yeah. That had to get me out. I had to go towards the light. Where do you learn that at nine years old, Mo? I don't know. Go towards the light, you know, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the prominent themes that you write about throughout your book is a feeling that you were always surrounded by your angels and that they mm -hmm. were there. They promised to protect you. And you, that was the first time you mentioned it is during that explosion, that hole in the, in your home and that, that light. And you've been following that light ever since. Can you, can you tell me more about this idea of being guided by them? Because you seem to not just be drawn to angelic light. You have clearly learned how to look for it and mm. to use it to create more light in the world. I think the light is important. I think it is a beacon. I think it's my true north. Mm -hmm. You know, always in the deepest hour that I have or other people I see having it's that light, you know, you said I was, I seem to follow the light or look for the light. And oftentimes I feel the light shining on me when I, when I can't find it. So and you're when looking, you need it most probably. Oh, we, before I need it, like I can, I'm like, okay, I need to pull some people in on this. Cause this is, you know, this yeah. is a bit much, but that light is so important and people, people miss it. Yeah, well, they and they don't know how to look for it. They don't know. They don't know. Nor do they believe that it's there. That's right. That's but right. it's there. I mean, if you ever walked into a room and you and you see some people and you see that light around them, their aura. 
Oh, and other people you look at and you go, oh, okay, I'm not going in that room. (laughs) (laughs) I got to move away from that. That's so true. And I think you also talked about um, using this familiar angelic light to escape traumatic situations and sometimes not traumatic situations, but it also became a meditation for you for the rest of your life, that, that gift of serenity and peace that you could access at any time, right? And finding it in the chaos. Yeah. And being still. You know, just, yeah, to be still. Oh, my God, I brought this bracelet the other day in Montana made of mud, and it says, be still. And that stillness has sustained me for so long, you know, and I'm not a still person at all. Yeah. And, and to stand in the midst of chaos of traffic or a long line at the grocery store, or real chaos of, you know, bad things going on around of maybe it's another person and their energy, and is to look inside and find that light in that stillness. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It's a gift. It's a gift. But even if you don't have the gift, you can give yourself the gift. That's right. You can create it. Yeah. I was lucky enough to have been visited by that that those three angels there were, there were three um at the at the hole and getting out of the hole and then again that night and I was just sharing this story the other day to somebody a stranger and and stranger I mean do do we even call people strangers <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but she she was somebody at, that I met like in passing that I had to deal with on an appointment basis. And um, having the angels come to me that night and me wanting to cleave them and get out of that body that hurt so bad in that hospital bed and all the visions and everything and to cleave to that and trying to negotiate with them. No, no, please take me. Mm-hmm. No, no, you go back. And if you go back, we will take care of you. Mm. But you have to make a commitment to always look for that light. You have to keep up your end of the bargain, don't you? Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for anyone. You can't walk around in this glowing light all day. I mean, we try. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't that be nice? If I was that evolved, I don't think I'd be here. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, you know, you, you also talk a lot about your courage being tested at a very early age. And there were a couple of incidents in particular that felt like defining moments to me. The first one was when you returned to fourth grade for the first time after the uh, accident. And Sister Catherine, yeah, God, called, love her. God love her, called you to the front of the room. Can you describe what that was like for you and how it, how you felt as it was happening to you? It, it was moments like that that has transformed me today because I never want anybody to ever another child to have to go through that. And it was not of her malintent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just out of her trying to teach the class a lesson. So she had pulled me to the front of the class to um, show the other fourth graders why you shouldn't play with fire because this is what can happen to you. Why you shouldn't play with matches. matches right. And I was so, wow. I mean, I, how much lower can you get? Yeah. And that was your first, Day back at school, right? Yeah, yeah. And she was, you know, the she was the big strict nun that everybody, you know, wanted as a part of their life, but didn't want as a part of their life, but knew we needed that structure. And yeah, that really well, it's that it seemed like it became crystal clear to you in that moment that the trauma you experienced was less about the physical scarring and more about the emotional scarring because now you were feeling excluded and isolated and humiliated feelings we all experience at different times in our life mm. right well and that's the reality of trauma you know i think like when we have a traumatic injury and for me i was in the hospital so i was cradled and the nurses and nobody stared at me because everybody in the hospital looked like me and they were professionals and it's out in the real world when you are faced with that interaction from people. Which can be so cruel. Which can be really cruel, which has to circle back and take you to the light inside. That's right. But that's a pretty young age for you to learn that lesson. And you you learn that, unfortunately, the hard way. Is there, 
Is there anything you can suggest to somebody who may not show any visible signs of trauma or pain, but who's definitely hurting on the inside? What, what can they do to cope with those kinds of feelings? You know, I run back to the be still. To be still and the visualization of having light poured over them, whether they believe it's from above or below or to the side or from the back, however it works for them. Mm-hmm. But to drown yourself in love, what, what was it? Um, Jampowski wrote the book several decades ago. The answer is love. Mm. Yeah, that's you true. Know? And, and if you can surround yourself in that self-compassion, um, I, and, and I think that's what a lot of us are lacking. I mean, I lacked it, the self-compassion. Sure. Yeah. You know, I had an awareness the other day that I looked at my legs that are not burned. Well, some of the knee in the back, but mostly they're, they're not. And I looked at my legs, I looked at my knees, and I thought, oh, my God. These were the same legs that brought me through the explosion. These are the same feet that I walked in that sister's classroom that day at four years old. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start to connect with yourself, that like mind, that, body, heart connection. You know, I I had that same sort of epiphany um, just recently. It was during a meditation and. A friend of mine who's a yoga instructor gave me a, um, a meditation uh, om to chant and uh, mm-hmm. in Sanskrit, and it was uh, for light. And part of the mm-hmm. revelation for me during that meditation was the thought of everything I've put my body through in my life and um, how mm-hmm. awful I've been to it. And I, and I was just sitting there meditating, and I thought, just was so grateful and thanked my body as the container for my soul that I carried this body and knock on wood, I'm very healthy, but this is the same body that has carried me through this journey that has been very difficult at times. So I can, I can really appreciate that. And you also mentioned in your book that you improvise as those angelic moments came and went, you said you learned how to improvise. What did you mean by that? Improvise. Um, um, you mean the way that I had leaned on them? The way I had... The way that you... I think it was you were talking more about your ability to cope because I obviously there were so many... Your whole family was dealing with the grief and the guilt and, and the sadness and all the stuff that comes along with the aftermath emotionally of this. And I know that humor was... Um, a huge, a huge mechanism. So I, the thought occurred to me, do the, these moments of improvisation, were they moments that helped you to build courage or were they more like momentary detours where you found things like humor to cope with the pain and the trauma of it all? You know, they were probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were times when I wasn't ready to hear the humor you know, but you run to humor because that, cause you don't know how to communicate any other way. That's right. You know, my father said to me once, um, I said, after I'd gone back into the fire when in my thirties, he came to see me and I picked him up at the airport and he says, I've heard what you've done. And I just had to see you again. And I said, Oh dad. And I was just sobbing. And I said, I have so many questions about the fire about the explosion as a little girl, I said, you know, I have so many questions. And, and I started to fire these questions at him. And he looked at me and he said, stop. He said, I can only be with you and next to you. I can't talk about the fire because if I talk about the explosion, I will cry. And if I cry, I will never stop. Mm. And, and you think, Okay, let's just stuff some more. You know what right. I mean? Well, let's and that, that sure, it was, I think, typical. I mean, I think okay. people still yeah. people still do that. We, we naturally, yeah. we, we yeah. stuff our emotions to deal with the pain. But I think in that generation, too, it was indicative of, of the time. We didn't, you didn't have therapy back, back then. I know mm-hmm. you talk about that in your book. You didn't have professionals to talk to. And 
I mean, I, I know I'm always looking for the funny in something, which is not always to my advantage, but humor yeah. definitely helps me to cope in certain moments and deflect the, the pain I might be feeling. So that's definitely the, the best medicine for sure. You, you also learned another incredible lesson early on that I think is really important to share today. You didn't want to be known as the burn girl. You just wanted to be known as an ordinary girl mm-hmm. who experienced extraordinary circumstances. And you realize that you teach people how to treat you. So you started acting as if you weren't, as if you weren't the burn girl and made more of an effort to initiate kindness to others. You described it in your book as a mirroring effect. Can you explain that to me and how it might help others to create better relationships, this idea of mirroring? Yes, yes. And the mirroring is, you know, it's, it's, I learned back in fifth grade from that girl, you really do get back what you put out. You really do. Mm -hmm. And it's a quick exchange and you are in control. And the sooner, the sooner I could grasp that, the better. I didn't want that label as the burn girl. I, that's not me. That's what happened to me. That's right. That's what I'm left with. That's something that maybe I can find a gift in that will help me move forward. But that's not who I am. And, you know, when I think we grasp that... It it changes things. For me, it was, you know, you can look at it and say, well, are you in denial? I mean, you've got these burn scars. You, you know, you are a burn survivor. Oh, no, no, no. I survived a burn and an explosion. But that's not who my spirit is. It's not who my soul is. And I get so offended when people call me a burn survivor. I'm like... No, I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I love to ride my motorcycle. I love to play in the snow. I love to, you know, stand a paddle and all this stuff. But yeah, do I have scars over my hands? Yeah, my face, my makeup, back, yeah. But I think when the girls, particularly the ones that I work with, when they get, when I tell them that, they you could see a little light start to come out of their eyes. Like, you mean I'm just like everybody else? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most powerful things somebody could say to me as a child or adolescent is, wow, you look so much like my blank sister, my cousin, my, right. because it told me I was normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm so impressed that you learned that at such a young age. That was such a hard lesson for me to learn too, because Honestly, until I got into recovery over, uh-huh. over 20 years ago now, I didn't have a lot of the good stuff to give away. And like you said, you can't give away what you don't have. I was still living like a victim. And that's what mm. I, that's how I was teaching people to treat me like I was a victim. And it, it wasn't until I started retraining my brain and learning about self-love and mm-hmm. self-care through recovery that I was able to make better choices, deep, deep connections and more meaningful relations in my life. But I had to, I had to experience what that felt like on a cellular level, deep in my heart. And I think rejection, that's the gift about rejection. Mm, the gift of rejection. Yeah. The gift of rejection. And, you know, it's not going to happen the next day. You know, I mean, I went through all the rejection and I, I cleaved to what was above me. Oh my God. I did not come this far to only come this far. That's right. I did not survive all that stuff to only get here. And if I can get it right this time around, I ain't coming back. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I am not coming back. And I'm just trying to get it right. You know, I'm just trying to make it happen. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. No, don't be sorry. It's a little more of the pain washing out. (laughs) It's a good cleansing. Well, Um, 
Speaking of the gifts of rejection, you also connected a lot of the dots in your book to the people and the experiences that help you evolve into the person that you were meant to be. I call those people in my book the, the, the flickers of light because like you, I did learn how to follow that light and use it to, to find that, that serenity for myself and the stillness. But I love the fact that you also made the connections to the people that you encountered that I think hurt you the most that rejected oh, you on a, such yeah. a, a huge level because, but they turned out to be some of the greatest teachers for finding your, for you being able to find your courage and being able to use it to lift yourself up. And of course I'm thinking specifically about Mr. Broker. Oh yes. Can you tell me about him uh -huh. and, and, and maybe what someone can do when they feel discouraged by it? A person like him because that yeah. was an absolutely devastating moment yeah. that changed the course of your life for the best he did he did change the course of my life for the best yeah. and you could have never told me that the days after all mm -hmm. those interviews and I sat on the floor going oh my god and feeling that deep pain and feeling that deep rejection but but not giving it a chair to sit on you know, I think what I learned in all the rejection is that you, you, you take it and you embrace it and you cry and you weep and you di dig into the darkness, but you've got to come out the other side. Mm. Stay there as long as you want. That's reasonable, right? He, um, this was a broker that, um, put me through interview and interview and interview and interview. And I really thought I was going to be hired as a real estate agent. I just passed my test. I you know, knew I could sell things. And um, when I got that call from his roommate who worked in the office and says, give it up, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's never going to hire you the way you look. He's my roommate. He comes home and says he thinks it, eventually you're just going to get so fed up that you're going to leave. Mm. I'm like, well, little does he know all my tenacity, but yeah. That... Well, and, and you, uh, I, you're, I think you're either you've forgotten or you're just extremely <sighs> modest. That roommate of his, actually, the reason she called you when she called you up, she told you the reason that she was calling you is because she was so inspired by your courage because you just mm -hmm. kept showing up and putting on that brave face of yours with that big smile, with that great attitude. And she was so inspired by your courage and told you that he had no intention of hiring you. And that was just devastating. It was, it wasn't, she didn't have the tone of what are you doing? Don't waste your time. No. Move on. It was a tone of, Compassion. Oh my God, we cannot stand to watch this anymore. He's the bad dude. Right. You, uh, you gotta like cut loose and fly. And I got the sense she did it because, she, well, one, she said she was so inspired by your courage, but she had mm -hmm. such compassion towards you as a, yeah. as a human being and really yeah. admired that about you. And I think it's hard to believe in those moments. And you've acknowledged that, that those moments are actually building blocks to shaping our oh. courage, but you recognize that and maybe not in the moment, but regardless of your scars, the discrimination you felt, it wasn't, you, you recognize that it wasn't unique to you. So ultimately you did what you had always done. You forged ahead, but you had to do some real soul searching then and peel, oh, yeah. peel back the layers of pain, right? Yeah. Oh, and like you, like you said, trouble will come your way, but you need right. not give it a chair to sit on. Right. So, right. So you did some real soul searching then. Yeah. It took layers and layers and layers, you know, and, and, and I just kept stepping forward. You know, I wasn't going to sit in a dark condo and, and weep, you know, maybe I did it for a day or two, but I had to just keep moving forward and go and seek and meet people to see where things would unfold. Because I think we get so stuck on our futures totally based on us and our attitude. I think there's a lot of magic around us that we look for and create that if we believe that and feel that it really does happen. That's right. And it, the, the incident with 
Mr. Broker, I'll always call him that now. It, it also reaffirmed for me that if we can unlock our worst pain, we have the key to facing our absolute worst, absolute worst fear too, which is really where life's greatest rewards are waiting for us, you know, right, right next to our fear. And it, it certainly seemed like that's what happened to you anyway. Yeah. um, And I think I talk at the very last page of my book, how I ran into him Yes, when he was pulling out. Yes. And And you almost said something to him, but I think somebody beeped at you or something. And so you had to. And pushed me on my way. And that was my signal to. God's nudge to like, just just keep going. Just, just, just keep going. He's not going to get it. That's right. It wasn't your lesson to teach probably. Oh, and I didn't want to come out with my book in my hand and go, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look, that wasn't me. And I just, but I was really coming from a place where I wanted to thank him. Yeah. I wanted to thank him for that pain. You know, when, when friends will come to me and they'll say, oh, I feel so betrayed by my boss or I got fired or, you know, the one is always about divorce, you know, oh, I'm, you know, divorcing the SOB. And I'd say, well, give it some time and you need to write them a thank you card. And they're like, what? Oh no, never, never. And eventually, you know, I get the random, you know, you told me to do that and it took five years, Yeah. but it's that thank you because, because of the gift in there. Yes, that's right. The, the, the gladden, gladdening of the heart is the, the gratitude that sort of gives us the grace to, to keep moving forward and to shine our light, more on other people and at other other places in our lives. And I think the key is to take that thought of, okay, there's got to be a gift in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you may say to yourself, I was just on the phone with one of my girls who was, who was, she was just burned badly four months ago because a car accident happened in front of her house. She ran out of the house and went to go get them out of the car. Well, they hit a light pole and the wire came down mm-hmm with an entrance and an exit wound. She's 20 years old mm-hmm. and it happened four months ago and she's struggling. You know, like, why did this happen? And the entrance came down across her face and, and, and I told her, I go, okay, there's a gift, a big gift. You may not get it today. You may not get it tomorrow. Couldn't be next month, but just know there's a gift in it. And now I've trained myself to where when something bad happens, I don't jump to the, oh, this is bad. Right. I'm like, oh, this is going to take some time to see the gift. Yeah, you, you jump to the solution now. <laughs> you have to yeah. open your eyes, right, to and see. Yeah. And your heart, or or you're not going to see it. It could be sitting right in front of you. Yeah. And that incident with Mr. Broker, I mean, I feel like, I mean, Uh-oh. it took a while, of course, but you were so determined to be be free of your fear of fire after that, that you eventually decided to suit up in full firefighting regalia and enter a burning building, not once, but three <laughs> times on one occasion. Can you talk a little bit about that and Bruce, the, the brave fire captain who promised to keep you safe? Yeah, I, I you know, I was... You peel off one layer and, oh, there's some more ick that you got to clean up. And I had this fear of fire, and rightly so. And it wasn't a crippling fear, but it was gnawing. You know, I wouldn't live in a place with natural gas. I wouldn't, it didn't like putting gas in my car. And I'd wait till someone came over to like the barbecue. So I just wanted to be free. I wanted to dig and be free. And, and uh, I met this gentleman at a conference, a fire conference, and I don't know why the truth fell right out of my mouth because I never told anybody before. I, but for me internally, I knew that if I could get back into a fire, if I could create that scene again and I could a fight that fire with the wisdom of a woman Mm. and not the fear of a child as I was 30 years prior and maybe, just maybe, I would see my angels again. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was explaining this to him one night, and he said, well, I can do that for you. I train firefighters. I thought, oh, for God's sakes, did I really mean that? 
And, you know, there was a series of events where he says, yes, in three months, we're going to train out in 29 Palms, you know, for the Marines. And I'm thinking, oh, great. I got, I got, got three months. months. I got months to come up with a gazillion excuses. And, and then I saw him the next day and he came on to me in the exhibit whole floor. And he says, I just got a contract to burn for the SWAT team three weeks, you know, 10 miles away. So, you know, and then he starts handing me equipment off the exhibit tables and I'm, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So three, three weeks later, I showed up at that training tower. And can you talk a little bit about that burn down when that happened? Because it was uh, one of the uh, chapters that was really a few things, which I'll share with you in a minute, but there was a few things that have really stuck with me. Can you uh, kind of describe what happens in a burn down? Yeah. So um, this particular burn down, it's called a control burn and it's where they light the tower or a container on fire and they start at the ground basement level and they put pallets and they set it ablaze and it's controlled. So they've got fire lines on it and they do it as a training exercise um, to have like real live fire training instead of just classroom stuff. So th- he was teaching the SWAT, the sheriff SWAT team that day. So in the morning they had classroom, you know, this is fire, this is what it takes to breathe. And this is, and then they had lunch and then they had the afternoon session where he invited me to the afternoon session. And I didn't know this fire captain from the hole in the wall. I didn't know, but I had a sense in my heart that that guy was not going to get me burned again. And my journey of wanting to go back in there and have the courage to fight the fire and see my angels was all my gig. I never told him. I never, and, and he... Well, you also didn't, you said you also didn't want him to think you were nuts because you were talking about angels. <laughs> exactly. Right. Because he's like all man, you know, right. <laughs> a man behind a badge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with just like the pretty bravado. Tough, pretty tough guy. Yeah. yeah. Pretty tough guy. And I'm like, not going to go, I'm going to go see my angels. And can you put me in the, right. yeah, that's not going to happen. So I just told him that I was really interested in learning about what happened and how did it, how did my explosion happen? Because remember my parents wouldn't, my family talk wouldn't talk about it. So he had explained probably what had happened. So when I went and I got to that tower, I got out of the car and he looked at me and he said, I can't believe you're here. You never return my calls. And I said, yeah, well, I can't believe I'm here either. <laughs> and when he was introducing the whole SWAT team, you got to understand these guys are standing around in their green SWAT outfits and all their gear. And I'm like, like this little rabbit standing in the middle of a wildfire and he went around and he introduced everybody and this is his crew and this is the afternoon component. And then he introduces me and I'm like 20 feet behind him by myself standing on the tarmac. And he proceeds to tell the guys, Oh, this is Lisa. And she faced the dragon. She was a little girl. And we're here today, gentlemen, because she's going to face her fears and, and have courage to face her fears. So when you see her going in, give her an oorah or whatever it is you guys do. And then he turns around and looks at me and goes, Lisa, do you want to say anything to the guys? Oh my gosh. Did you say anything? What a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) How can you be so insensitive? And I said, no, no, Captain, I'm good. I'm good. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it's really an unbelievable chapter that you write. And the fact that you had only ever associated fire with screams and yeah. burning, burning flesh. But so the fact that you were able to face this fire, albeit controlled with the courage of an adult, because you thought it would free you from your fear of fire forever is really remarkable. You you even warned yourself to be careful of what you wish for because you know, our mm. our fears have a way of finding us and you were mm. giving you were giving this one an invitation. Yeah, this I mean, this whole chapter took my breath away. But the there were I was going to mention a few moments that have really stayed with me about it. The the first the first one, uh, it might sound a li- little crazy, but probably not to you. It just it's something I visualized as a writer when you were describing the feeling of being so terrified as you approached that that burning building. You wrote that 
even your courage was lagging behind. And all I could visualize when I read that was this image of you embodied as an angel with a rope that was tethered to this beating heart of lagging courage trailing behind you. Like it was, it was, it was trying, it was trying desperately to keep up with this angel that you embodied. And just as you were about to step over that threshold and through the door, I imagine that angel. Mm-hmm. I imagine that angel turning around to tell you that, to tell your heart, basically, that you weren't alone and that you could do it, but you had to be willing to risk everything to get it right, to be free emotionally. And I mean, I know you collapsed <laughs> a short while after that, a day or two later. And I think that's sort of part of the the myth, maybe, because I... I, I know in my experience, I had to face a fear like this. It wasn't fire, but to me, it was the threat was real. And it was euphoric initially. And then the collapse, mm. the collapse did come. And then you have to learn how to pick yourself up. But Lisa, my God, you in that moment, it's like you were that, you became that, that angel. You had like the mother load of courage. And to, to think that that was trailing behind you, I was like, no, 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 that's who you are. And to me, that has just, that image just really Mm. stuck with me. Courageous or crazy, as you say, but it was, it was just so beautifully written. I was, I was also shocked when you told Bruce, when you're in there, that you were hearing the screams of the other, other people and burned down only to realize later that you were really the only one that mm-hmm. heard those screams because they had been locked in your memory for, I think you said, a quarter of a century. Yeah. They'd that's, been living in my head. That's and when I said to him, oh, the screams, he looked at me and he said, there were no screams. And and, and I, I remember it so vividly that I'd been suppressing and, you know, stuffing and walking around with those screams and really hearing them that day. Yeah, that was that was incredible. And the the other moment that was so poignant in this chapter was when Bruce helped you to suit up for the last time, the third yeah. time. Yeah. And when he tightened your mask, you said you could see his eyes through his own mask, and you said he looked different to you, like someone you had known for an eternity. And right, right. It, it changed. You. Um, I saw it, him for the first time. Him, his heart. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there's wonderful irony in the fact that, if I may reveal that this brave, incredible fire captain, Bruce, later became your husband. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, not it's, long, two years afterwards, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, your your feelings, I think you said something to the effect that it, your feelings in that moment move from trust to complete safety. And I'm, I'm sure it was, I felt reading it that it was something about, you know, the, the eyes being the windows to our soul. But the amount of courage that you had to continue, even in that moment, to draw upon, to then trust him so completely and make yourself so vulnerable was reminiscent to me of what I think Brene Brown meant when, mm. she, when she said that vulnerability sounds mm. like truth and it feels like courage. And I think that's that's the key. I think you just hit on it. That vulnerability is so raw and it's so surrendering mm-hmm. because you don't know what that outcome was. I didn't know what was going to happen in that burning building. I mean, we had to climb down into the basement and... You know, that first, second time I went in, or actually the second time, and I turned around to get the heck out of there looking for my white hole, right? All I saw was another big firefighter between me and the door. Mm. And it was, you know, it was, I mean, I look back on that. I was telling a psychiatrist, uh, one of the guys that I'd work with about that, and he's sitting there, and he's Harvard trained, and he's looking at the table across from me, and he goes, you did what? 
<laughs> you went back into a fire? You didn't have any therapy? You didn't have any? No, no, I had nothing but Bruce, this Captain Cartelli. I didn't even call him Bruce then. Yeah. He was Captain Cartelli. And I, the fear lagging behind, yeah, and the vision you had was pretty much dead on. Mm. Yeah. You and know? Being that vulnerable, that unprotected and scared, I think is the hardest thing a person can do is to, to make themselves vulnerable. But it's, but making yourself vulnerable, as I have learned, I think is one of the most rewarding things you can do. And while irrational fear feels just as real as a rational one, yours was extremely dangerous and life-threatening, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I... And 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 psychologically threatening yeah. to go in there and poke the bear like that inside of us. Yeah. You know what I mean? To it's very very scary. But I think with vulnerability, the more vulnerable I become, the better my life gets. I mean, nobody's going to take my birthday away from me because I'm vulnerable, right? right? What are they going to take away from you? Why? Because you express yourself in a relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's, a, it's so locked down. Yeah, yeah. Do you? I mean, do you have any advice for people on how to make themselves more vulnerable? Because that seems to me, vulnerability seems to me to be the birthplace for courage. And how how do you think someone can learn how to become more vulnerable? I'm going to go back to being still. I'm going to go back there again because it's in that stillness that you hear and you really do hear if you're listening yeah. what your heart is telling you and what your gut is telling you that little voice that little voice and that uh, I learned that when I'm vulnerable I'm never gonna leave me I'm never gonna leave me that's right you know and I think for someone who is locked up I have a friend now who's very locked up and I just it's so sad for me to watch because they're so locked up. But I see beyond. I see, you know, I see through. But they're they're so locked up. I have a photograph of when Bruce tightened my mask. And you just reminded me of this. When he tightened my mask and I looked and I saw him. And I saw who he was in his heart, in his courage. And I have a picture of the two of us with our face mask together. So he's tightening it and he's talking to me. Well, when I look at the photo, I'm thinking, oh, what instructions was he giving me? Like the Charlie Brown voice. Right. What, what, what? Wow, wow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're thinking, what the heck? But it was in that moment. And thank you for reminding me. It was in that moment I really saw him. I saw the man behind the badge, yeah. you know. And maybe because I was on the backside of going back into the fire and I didn't, I could start picking up my vulnerability and courage off the floor Mm -hmm. and picking the pieces up off the floor and start to put it back together again. And I happened to look over at him going, oh, okay, yeah, that. Well, when I I hear you uh, describe that photograph, it also just reminds me too that it's the unspoken language. I mean, you couldn't hear, he was obviously talking, but you couldn't hear the words. It was what you were feeling in your heart. That was the language, the language of the heart. That is what spoke to you, you know? And I think that's, that's a blessing in and of itself. And I don't know. I, I think that vulnerability also creates that intimate connection with trust and the kind of trust that satisfies our innate sense of needing to feel safe. And that, that, was how you felt in that moment with Bruce. Tremendous safety. And I didn't even know him. Mm -hmm. I didn't know him. But I knew there was something about him that I trusted. Yeah, and you knew his heart. And I knew I could begin to see his heart. And on the flip side of that, I know people really well. Some people really well, but I don't trust them. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, there's there's two... Yeah, two sides to that coin. Two sides to that coin, and when you find somebody that you get such a sense of trust, but maybe you don't know very well, I cleave with it. 
I Me run too. with it. Me too. And I, I think for people who've suffered from any kind of trauma, safety that at least for me safety is the greatest gift you can give someone and i think that's what he gave you that day was that gift oh, of God, yes. of safety yeah oh, and, yeah. and of course there's the wonderful irony that he's you know a fire captain and that was I your know, weird. but but i also think too even though it's ironic i think i do think is i hate clichés but you know things happen for a reason we 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 meet we connect with people for a reason even if we don't know what those reasons are initially but i felt like he was yet another representation of your angels here on earth who promised you to protect you and keep you safe mm -hmm. especially in your most vulnerable times and you started your book out that way about those angels that you knew were surrounding you to protect you and that's what happened through your life right Absolutely. I was, we were sharing uh, um, over lunch the other, yesterday with some friends. I had a incredible miracle happen in Boston airport and, and uh, the one woman says, Oh, tell me about it. So I explained it to her and, and one of the girls goes, yeah, she goes, you know, when I first met Lisa and she would tell me these things, I would think, Oh man, this is like a far fetched story. What the hell? She goes, then I started hanging around her and now I'm witnessing it. She goes, I was there. I saw it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I saw this miracle happen. And it, I think we have to be open because they happen to all of us. Mm -hmm. But if we're not vulnerable and if we don't be still, to hear our heart and to feel the self-love, we're not seeing them. That's right. We're not even aware that they exist. No. Yeah. No. Well, speaking of angels and <laughs> your ability to be present to their aroundness at the most inopportune times, you have to tell the anecdote about the woman at the gym. And then I'd love for our listeners to hear about your life's work, your nonprofit organization, Angel Faces. Yeah, so I was, you know, in another dark period doing a struggle with um, a situation that I um, had gotten myself into because we're all responsible at some point and, um, you know, trying to take care of myself because my my head was, uh, you know, hurting and my heart was hurting and and I was at the gym on the treadmill and I ran into a friend of mine and she says, um, you know, she's pretty much raised in a very safe environment and abundant environment. And, you know, there are times when I work three jobs kind of a thing. And she, she's, oh, I'm really bored and I just don't know what to do. And, and I said, you know, go rock babies, go hold some babies, go down to the hospital, sign up, be a volunteer. And, you know, and I'm trying to tell her to get away from herself a little bit yeah. and give and explore and, and uh, so she's, oh, okay, great. And I explained the organization that I had volunteered for. And then she said, well, yeah, well, maybe they'll be good for a grant because my family gives away family foundation grants. And I had this brewing in my head about what I wanted to do. And boy, you know, you hit that stop button on that treadmill. And you're Emergency like, stop. Emergency stop. You're like, wait. What? what did you just say? And then taking that and pushing it forward, yeah, you know, uh, and staying with the ick, you know, it was ick standing and running next to her because she was whining and complaining. And, mm. and I could have walked away and went, oh, I, you know, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. But I knew there was something in there. I needed to stay. And, uh, yeah. and that's a, another thing that Brene Brown talks about is staying in those tough conversations. Yes. And you stayed. And 10 days later, you had a check. Yeah, I had a nice check to start my yes. um, foundation. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, the foundation and the girls. It's pretty incredible how this came to pass. Yeah. So I started it about 16 years ago. I was running a, I started a burn camp in San Diego and after a couple of years, um, I really felt that I wasn't teaching the kids anything. These are little kids that, that have burn injuries from 2% on their finger to much larger. And I felt I was just taking them away for the week and teaching them what it would be like if nobody stared. And this was, this is a normal child's life. And that was really gnawing at me. And I, so I left the organization and began to realize that I needed to create a retreat 
where adolescent girls could come, lay down their social armor, lay down their swords, dig into what happened, how did it happen, all the things I didn't have that I knew would really make my life so much easier at that age. And I knew enough good women in my life that I could pull the women in going, oh, you teach yoga? Okay, can you come with me for a week? Oh, you teach art? Oh, can you come with me for a week? Can you, you know, and that was 16 years ago. So now um, we have two levels. We're an intensive seven-day, eight-day, well, for the volunteers, it's 12, um, day retreat where girls come. We only take 20 girls per level. We have two levels where they come to heal and they come to learn healing skills and how to embrace the way they look now. You know, I get girls from house fires to car accidents to, you know, what's happening now is the acid in the face. Um, And so they come very wounded and we work with them and we push them and we cry with them and we play with them and um, get them back on their feet, send them home. Yeah, and and I know even though your time with them is relatively short, there's a really mm-hmm. strong element of teaching them about forgiveness. And I think, well, at least for me, learning how to forgive requires a whole different kind of courage that I had never experienced needing before, a kind of vulnerability that I was never willing to allow myself to feel for many, many years. but it became vital to my healing and to my recovery. How do you teach the girls in a relatively short time how to find the courage to forgive or at least to be willing to be open to the idea of forgiveness? Right. Well, we have them identify people in their life that they feel they need to forgive. So, you know, we talk to them about forgiveness and what that means and then having them identify the people that they need to forgive. And then we have them write letters And they can pick just one where they write a letter of forgiveness. They don't need to mail it. They don't. But it starts them on that process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you always get the girl that raises her hand. um, And, you know, I'll get get girls that will say, well, can we write two letters? Can we write three letters? I need to forgive these four girls that, you know, I need four pieces of paper. And then you get the girl that raises her hand and says, I don't have anybody to forgive. And I say, okay. We need to write a letter to yourself right now, forgiveness, because you just lied to yourself. (laughs) And she looks at me like, oh. And I said, you know, let's start with yourself. And boy, that just opens up, you know. When you you get people in the right environment and you get them and they're hungry to heal, and you get them to open up and be There's willing. Some pretty cool magic stuff that goes down. Yeah, and I, I sort of think that uh, the ability to forgive is the magical ingredient in healing. You know, starting with yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to shift mm. gears just a little bit because we are, I think, getting short on time. And I wanted to get in a round of the rapid fire questions. Are you still okay for a few more minutes? Yes. All right, here we go. Favorite sound? Um, uh, the ocean. Favorite smell? Um, a uh, flower, um, lilac. Worst feeling in the world? Oh, rejection. What's your favorite word? Trust. Least favorite word? Probably hate. Favorite quality in a friend? Um, the honesty. Least favorite? Um, the deceit. Favorite quality in yourself? Um, I'm pliable. Adaptable, yes, thank you. What do you do to have fun or relax? I know you love to ride your Harley. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. I do like to do that. Yeah. Um, I love to water my plants. Aww. Really love to water my plants. That's great. Growth is progress, right? Yes. How would you live differently if you knew no one would judge you? I don't know if I would do anything different. Good for you. I don't really. Yeah, I don't allow too many people to stop me. I don't. Yeah. That's great. What do you think keeps people stuck or impedes their ability to heal the most? Uh, um, fear of being vulnerable. Yeah. Vulnerability, I think. I the vulnerability. That's, yeah, that's the nugget. Most influential person in your life today? Oh, today? Uh, wow, that's a big question. Um, in my life today, the most influential, well, it would probably be God. I mean, not probably. I mean, I, I listen. Yeah. Most influential. Right, right now, it's you. Because you're courage to be vulnerable in this call oh my gosh you're amazing really well yeah it's i'm not you know what i'm not surprised that you said this only because you are always so present Mm. so back at (laughs) you i'm sitting here looking at you and i'm you know, and I see, you know, you struggle through some things or, or step into things or lean into things. And it, it takes courage. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Is mm. there anything that you're dreaming about doing now that you'd love to bring into the world that you need the courage to do? Oh, I have a second and a third book sitting in me. Mm. Yeah, that I need to, you know, you complete. started working, working on Yes. It? Yeah, working on the second awesome. one. Yeah, awesome. And I also, I think I read, I think this was in your book. Um, but are you going to be doing these retreats for boys as well? Is that something? Yeah. So we that's been on our radar for a while. Um, you know, I got to strengthen up the um, the um, the structure of that as far as the funding. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of that push pull push pull right now we've really been um, focusing on women and the girls, but I had three boys come to me at a conference and, you know, their faces were, were pretty scarred and they said, we know what to do. We know the girls who've been at your retreats. What about us? How come you're not helping us? And Oh my God, my heart. I just went, Oh, why aren't I helping you? But you know, I know my limits, you know, and I, and I'm all about balance and if I take on anything else, something's going to suffer. And I don't want anything in my life right now at this moment to suffer. Yeah. And that's that's a hard lesson to learn, too. It's all about knowing your boundaries, knowing what you're good at, what you're not good at. But we'll put it out in the world. And as you know, I'm sure you put it out mm. there and the universe will conspire to make that happen. Yeah. The manifestation is amazing. My last question. Yeah. What, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, for my courage. Mm, great answer. Courage for my, yeah, for just the balls that it takes to do half of the stuff you want to do in this life. Right on, right on. That's <laughs> such a fabulous answer. Well, thank you, Lisa. I, you know, again, one of my, my favorite people, because I quote her all the time, Brene Brown, but she gives, mm-hmm. she gives one of the best definitions of courage. She says that it's telling the story of who you are with your whole heart. So thank you for mm-hmm. doing, thank you for doing that today and for turning your pain into your life's passion. I mean, you're an angel for sure. Who's, oh, who's making a, you. a tremendous impact on the world. So on behalf of the rest of the world, <laughs> oh my God. No, I thank you for that. Thank so. you so much. Thank you for giving me this time and, and for reading my book and, and all your feedback. It's, 
you know, I, I, I think you got some wings behind you there too, that you're hiding. So oh, thank you. Well, this yeah. was my pleasure. And for anyone wanting more information about angel faces retreats or any way, uh, any ways that you want to donate and support angel faces, you can go to angelfaces.com. If you're interested in booking Lisa for a speaking engagement or obtaining a copy of her book, heart of fire, an intimate journey of pain, love, and healing. You can go to lisacartelli.com, spelled L-E-S-I-A-C-A-R-T-E-L-L-I. I'll also have that information up on my website at biteofcourage.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, be daring, and take a body courage. See you next week. Thanks everyone for tuning into my podcast, Bite of Courage. To learn more about my guests, you can go to biteofcourage.com or go to my website, humormewithmo.com, where I also post weekly articles about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be daring, be brave, and take a bite of courage. This is a trio production, all rights reserved.